Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please also check out my other podcast, Kids Do Have Time to Read Books. I'm on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and at Kids Do Have Time to Read. So please follow me. And if at any time you have suggestions, my email is zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much to my latest sponsor, the Mermaid Pillow Company, mermaidpillowco.com. They make these amazing pillows with sequins on the back and positive messages on the front. And they now even make custom pillows and blankets. It's an amazing company. And if you enter the code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, you will get 10% off, which is super cool. So please check them out, mermaidpillowco.com. I'm so excited to be here today with Nicola Harrison. Nicola is a native of England who studied literature at UCLA and received an MFA in creative writing at Stony Brook. She was the fashion and style staff writer at Forbes, wrote a weekly column for Lucky, and has had work published in Los Angeles Magazine, the Southampton Review, and many other publications. She also launched a personal styling business, Harrison Style. She currently lives in New York and has spent many summers in Montauk. She's the author also of Montauk. (laughs) So welcome, Nicola. Thanks for being on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for having me. Everybody be gentle. This is Nicola's first podcast. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) We're going to break her in nice and easy. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So I read her book, Montauk, start to finish, like in one big chunk. I sat on the couch and I read for six hours straight. It was so good. And I'm so excited to talk to Nicola about it. So tell listeners what Montauk is about, please. Okay. So it's set in 1938. And it's the story of Beatrice, who is a young woman, and she um, spends the summer in Montauk at the request of her husband. And for those who don't know, Montauk is a little town at the tip of Long Island past the Hamptons. And so she spends the summer out in Montauk, and she stays at the Montauk Manor with all the wives, and then the husbands go back and forth to the city during the week, and they come out on the weekends. And instead of like getting in with the high society wives and women, she kind of finds herself drawn to these locals and their lives, and she gets involved in you know in, in their lives, and that leads to some complications, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> so you wove a lot of facts and images and things through it. So mm-hmm. did you have to research? Did this was it a whole historical fiction thing, or did you make everything up? No, I, I mean, this, the story itself is well, obviously the fictional. Story, right? okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it started out with me, with, you know, visits to the Montauk Library and reading about the local history and then, you know, tours of the lighthouse or the local historian. And then I interviewed some locals who have lived in Montauk like their whole life, you know, and they're like in their 90s now. So those interviews are amazing. And then, you know, I, I learned a lot about the development of Montauk back in the 1920s by this guy, Carl Fisher, this developer. He also developed Miami, which was just swamp ground. So that was all true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He developed Miami into what it is now from nothing. And then he bought Montauk and developed that. So so that was, you know, I wove that that in throughout. And it's interesting because I've seen Montauk have a lot of changes over the years. And, you know, it's gone from like a sleepy fishing village that people didn't really want to drive all the three hours out of New York City to get there. So it's like very quaint. And now it's become a very popular destination. It's still beautiful and, and everything, but it's changed a lot. And so I that kind of mirrored what I read about had happened in the 1920s and 30s. And so I kind of wanted to capture it. So cool. Yeah. I've watched Montauk change. I've been going to the Hamptons. This is going to age me somewhat since 1979. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I feel like I've seen 
the shift in Montauk yeah. like, firsthand. So I was particularly interested in this right, book. Right, exactly. So how did you end up writing this book? Tell me about, so you used to work in magazines. Mm-hmm. How did you end up, you got a creative writing MFA. Yeah. Tell me where this book came from, how you came up with the idea for this book, how you went from magazines here. Just how, how did you get here to this to this beautiful book? So, you know, I spent a lot of time out in Montauk and a lot of summers out there. My ex-husband and I used to have a house out in Montauk. And it was funny because when we bought it, it belonged to this guy. His name was Billy, and he was a lobster fisherman. And when the real estate prices started to rise, a lot of locals, you know, sold out and moved. And he actually moved to Florida. And so... We had this house, and then when we started going to, you know, the local fish market and the liquor store and the grocery store, we'd talk to the people and get to know them, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, you live at Billy's house. And for years, it was like, we lived in Billy's house, and it probably still is Billy's, you know, considered Billy's house. And just that sort of sense of loyalty and community to this guy, Billy, (laughs) I just thought that was so cool, and it kind of, you know, it was like a germ of an idea in the back of my mind. And what else did you ask me? <laughs> oh, so how did you come up with this story? So you, you got your new house. Billy, yeah. You've kicked Billy out. <laughs> Billy's out of town. <laughs> and you decided to write a story about right. it, or you came up with the idea then, and then... That was sort of like, like the beginning of it, this this idea of like the, the locals and this, this loyalty. And then, you know, when my son was young on the weekends, you know, how they sometimes they don't nap, and you put them in the car and you just drive around. And I would just drive around Montauk for so long up by the lighthouse and down to the fishing village and and down by the beach and up by the Montauk Manor. And I just, I think it just started piecing it, piecing something together in my mind. And then did you decide, so were you working full-time or freelancing? And like, when did you decide to write uh, write a book at all? Yeah, so I started working on, this took me about four years to write. Previously, I was working in magazines and I was a fashion writer for Forbes and Lucky and some other places. But that was earlier. (laughs) I think it was, so it was after, yeah, obviously after I had my son, about four years ago, I started working on this book. Yeah. (laughs) And then it took you four years to write it. Yeah. Four years. I bet, because there's so much in there. I mean, it's it's so good, but I was like, I mean, it's really like a, a like you wove in so much, stuff like and there's so much action how did you come up with the idea like how did you come up with the plot and did you know all along and I'll ask you specific questions yeah. I'm like rambling but did you come up with the the ending at the beginning like did you already know how it was going to end I did you yeah. did yeah. oh my gosh okay. I knew how this whole story I don't I don't know how I came up with the with the plot it just yeah. sort of came to me I was just like Awesome. This is my story. And I, it was sort of fully developed in my mind. I mean, obviously, there are different twists and turns right. I took along the way, but the general idea from beginning to end so is, cool. is my mind. <laughs> That's amazing. One of the things you wrote so beautifully about in the book was infertility, which I feel like is not often talked about in fiction in this way, and especially not in the 1930s. Right. It was like such a neat way you handled it. Anyway, you wrote, I was trying to remain hopeful that we would be blessed with a child somewhere in the near future, but the same old fear and questioning about why it hadn't happened yet came rushing back. The thought of being around all the women during the week with their children at the beach and the pool, teaching them to play tennis and build sandcastles, made me feel rather melancholy. Most likely I'd be the only one of childbearing age without a child to care for, and everyone would be asking why I wasn't in the family way. My stomach clenched, and I suddenly found it hard to swallow. Oh, that feeling. Like yeah. You captured that so beautifully. Tell me about the interest in including this dimension to the book. Yeah, so, I mean, I was writing about a time when if you weren't married with three kids by the age of 25, you were considered an old maid. <laughs> and it's just so different from 
from where we are now, especially in New York City, you see women, you know, having kids so much older. I mean, I'm 40 and I just had a, I have a three month old. So it's just, I mean, that would never have gone down then. But I mean, I, I've seen, you know, we all have friends who are, you know, I've, I've seen friends who struggle with this, who struggle with infertility. And, you know, and I think it's so hard for, I've seen it, that it's so hard for them to like go to the birthday parties and, you know, go to the baby showers and be this good friend when they're struggling with that. It's just, you know, very heartbreaking for them. It's so true. Oh my gosh. And you also write so beautifully about loss. So I won't give anything away, but Beatrice, the main character, had lost someone close to her, which informs many of her life decisions going forward. And I felt like you captured that feeling of suddenly just so out of sync with the rest of the world when you're grieving. And you said, this is what Beatrice is thinking, anything they spoke of seemed childish and petty. I seem to have been thrust into the world of adulthood overnight. How could I relate to these people anymore? And I have gone through a period of time where I felt that way. Mm-hmm. Did you, have you gone through this? I mean, you must yeah. have to, to f- have yeah. written about it like this. Yeah, so I lost my brother in a car accident. When, it was like the day before my 18th birthday. No. Yeah, oh, and he was gosh, so, so young. He was 22. <gasps> so, you know, we, it was just devastating for my family. And we, you know, I was in high school. Oh. And, you know, I was a cheerleader. And, and you know, my biggest problems were like boys and you know, what our plans were for Friday night football <laughs> after the football game. And then suddenly it's like, like I said, it was like just thrust into this adulthood. And suddenly it felt like my job was like to take care of my parents and to make sure that they were, you know, eating and drinking and, you know, going to move forward. And, and it's, you know, I just thought it's, I wanted to explore this a little because it's a, it is, you feel very isolated and like very, very alone and like, all of a sudden, my best friends who were like, you know, my besties, and suddenly I just couldn't relate to them at all, you know. And they were trying to say all the right things, and they just, you know, they couldn't. There's nothing they could say because they had never been through anything like this. So, yeah, I channeled that into oh, Beatrice, yeah. I'm so sad to hear that. Yeah. And it was just the two, was it just the two of you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, now I feel like all the rest of my questions are so stupid. Oh. <laughs> In comparison to that, well... Okay. Had you written about your loss of your brother in other contexts? Yeah. Have you, have you tried to write about it? Did you write? A, did you think about writing this as a memoir of sorts? Yeah. yeah. You're, <laughs> yes, you're onto it. <laughs> so I got my MFA in creative writing at Stony Brook University, and when I was there, I worked on a memoir, and it was about my brother and you know losing him at a young age. And the reason I wrote it is, I think this is the reason I wrote it. Is well, first of all, it was very cathartic to write about yeah. him and like us growing up, and I just wanted to like remember all of these times that we had together, and I was scared that I was going to forget things, mm-hmm. and I found that I was remembering things in terms of pictures, like mm-hmm. family photo albums. Yep. Like I would remember in my mind what I saw this picture. Oh yeah, I remember that. And then I was worried that that was all I was going to remember with mm. these pictures that we had. And, you know, you're not going to get any more pictures. So I just wanted to write down, I wanted to, like, capture it and write down, you know, the good times that we had and, you know, the things growing up. So I had written that memoir. You know, it's in a drawer now. I didn't do anything with it. But it was, you know, a very cathartic experience to, to do it. And then what made you want to fictionalize it this time? You know, I had no intention of inc- including that in this really? in this book. Huh. And, I feel like it's such a central part of the book. Yeah, I feel like it was missing it before it went before yeah. it was in. Yeah. And then I just sort of dabbled like oh, I might just do this yeah. and then it started to develop into a thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's amazing. A friend of mine recently was asking, so 
I had another author event recently with Sarah McCall and Claire Bidwell-Smith, and both of them had lost their mothers and oh. wrote written memoirs about that. Right. And both of them had been divorced, and I have also been divorced, and as, as have you. Yeah. So this new theory came out of this discussion because a friend of mine who is not divorced said, you know, what is it that makes— because now everybody's, I'm, not, I'm rambling, I'm not being very articulate here, but she was saying people who have been divorced and are in new relationships and whatever have this like creative spurt, you know, is the divorce itself what causes the creativity? And then I said, you know what? I don't think it's the divorce. I think that the commonality is the loss, that once you've had a loss, you realize like you're very aware that life is way too short, like, and that this is your only shot, right? right? And I feel like people maybe who haven't been shocked by a big loss at some point in their lives, maybe, not to say yeah. that if you've had a loss, you're going to get divorced, but there's something about Right, that. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think there's a couple of things that I think about that. I think that when you have a loss, at least for me, when you have a loss, like it made me, I think it made me more aware of like my feelings and sort of looking more inside. And I, that's when I think that, yeah, it was about then when I started like doing creative writing and getting and more into that and sort of more in touch with getting my thoughts and my feelings down on paper. But then as far, this is, I'm not quite making the connection that you made, but then as far as like when you get divorced, I didn't necessarily become more creative when I went through a divorce, but, you know, I had more time mm-hmm. to myself. Yeah. And, you know, nights when I didn't have my son with me and yeah. I was just like tapping away on the computer and, and working on, on this book. And I don't, it wasn't like I thought, okay, I got a divorce, so now I'm going to write a book. No, no, yeah. But I just, I don't know, I, I feel like I accomplished a lot more after mm-hmm. I got divorced. <laughs> it's like, imagine how much everybody would be accomplishing without having kids all the time. Right. I know. We'd be like superheroes. I I feel like everyone's like, how do you get stuff done? I'm like, well, I do have, you know, eight days a month where I don't have custody of my kids. Right. I could either sit there and cry, Mm -hmm. which sometimes I do, or I could just be super productive with that time. Right, exactly. Anyway. And you had a great scene with Beatrice and her husband where you wrote, I wondered how our marriage could go on. Would I always cringe at the sight of him, a sight that at one point had made me smile until my cheeks hurt? So I love that. I feel like that juxtaposition is so great. How can someone... Yeah. It was like the be all end all, end up somebody else just right. like tossed aside in a way. Yeah, and it's I think it's interesting how you know your feelings for someone can change in like an instant or like you know very very quickly, and you know something can happen or some sort of you know evil or something can happen and your love just turns to can turn to anger, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to make that go away. I think and to go back to the place where you were after something's happened. I agree with that. In terms of getting a lot out of the writing, because you have Beatrice in the book actually write as well, and you say how strange and incredible the feeling was to see her words in print, and she said, seeing my view of a moment in time, smelling the ink of my words, that felt good. So I'm wondering, does it feel equally good when you see your words in print in this book? I mean, is that the most amazing feeling? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty awesome to see it in, in book form, you know, in the advanced copy. But I think also, you know, just from my journalism background, I just remember that first time you know, I got an article published and seeing it was like this big, tiny, but seeing like something actually get published just feels amazing. And I think no matter how many articles I've written over the years, like it always just feels, I feel incredibly proud of getting something published. Feels yeah. good. <laughs> it does feel good. I like these like specific, measurable, like 
tangible right. things. Exactly. And so much in life is just, you know, not tangible at all. You also have another great character in the book named Dolly, who has like amazing influence on Beatrice. And Dolly at times was talking about how bored she can be with, you know, all the, you know, society ladies and blah, blah, blah. But that she looks for ideas everywhere she goes. And that's how she gets through some of that not such exciting stuff. Right. <laughs> Do you feel like that happens to you too? Or is there a particular moment you remember like having to survive something, but then your brain goes somewhere else and you come up with some great idea? I think ideas come to me when I nap. Okay. <laughs> Which happens very rarely these days. <laughs> but sometimes when I'm when I'm writing, if I get stuck on something, if I take a little nap, sometimes I feel like the idea comes to me right as I'm falling asleep. <laughs> but you know, I really should nap more. You should. <laughs> I should. Oh my gosh. That's like the like you have like a golden ticket to nap like every day. Right? That's like, I should I should schedule it. You should. It really doesn't happen though. No, I mean that's what they say, right? About like that we're so busy and we fill every second and we're checking our phones and da da da. But that if you just take a walk in the in the park, right. you know, things will come to you. It's yes. like what you're saying. As yeah. soon as you unplug. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> All right, well, maybe, maybe I'll take a nap. Yeah, right? <laughs> take a nap this afternoon. So are you working on anything else now, or are you? You I are, am, you yeah. Are, tell yeah. Me. I'm working on a second novel, and this one is set in the 20s during Prohibition, and it takes place in the Adirondacks and in Manhattan. And, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun time period to work on the 20s and all the fashion, and it's really, it's, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And you have a nine-year-old... And a three-month-old. Yes. So when are you, not to say that people with nine-year-olds and three-month-olds can't write, but it's a <laughs> challenge. So when when and where are you writing these days? So I, I write at a workspace called The Writer's Room. It's um, downtown by you know, an Astor Place area. And it's this workspace for writers. And it's just a big loft and a bunch of desks. And it's totally silent. And it's funny, there's all these writers come in from the hustle and bustle of the city and they just sit in silence and, <laughs> and type away. But I get so much work done there, so much more work done there than I do at home. So that's where I work. And finding the time, you know, I actually find that when I have a small child, <laughs> I get I'm sort of more productive because you have to schedule your time. You're like, okay, I've got two hours or I've got three hours. That's it. After that, I'm not going to have it. So it's like you make the most of those couple of hours. But yeah, my nine-year-old's in school. So, yeah. <laughs> so exciting. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors having been through this process? Well, I would say probably one of the things that helped me out most is I'm a member of a writing workshop and we meet every Thursday night, and it's led by the novelist Jennifer Bell, who's awesome. And we've been meeting for, for years, and we meet every Thursday, and we just bring in pages of what we've been working on, and we just read it to each other, and we give each other our like gut instinct, and then we go to the next person. So it's, it's kind, of, kind of informal, but we just do it, and it's just the structure mm-hmm. of that weekly meeting, knowing we have to show up with some pages, and that sort of accountability and then also just hearing what you've written, hearing it out loud, it sort of takes it out of your head and makes it something real. So that's been like incredibly helpful for me. So I would recommend to aspiring writers to like find a group or find some fellow writers and, you know, get something on the calendar, just something regular. That's great advice. Yeah. So everyone who's listened to the end, 
we have to congratulate Nicola on finishing her first podcast. <laughs> yeah, so I made it. <laughs> reach out to her on Instagram at Nicola Harrison, right? At Nicola, what's your? Well, we'll look it up. <laughs> I think it's at Nicola Harrison author. At Nicola Harrison author, or through my website or yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. and give her one of those little clappy emojis. <laughs> I just wanted to say I love your podcast, and I think it's so good, not just for readers but for writers also, and. The reason I like it is because when I'm on my way to go for like a writing day at the writer's room, I like to put it on when I'm on the subway and listen to a podcast and hear other writers talk about like their process and their inspiration and, you know, what the challenges. And and I like it because it gets me pumped up for the day, <laughs> for my writing day. <laughs> and it like helps me, you know, relate to other people. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. It makes sense. <laughs> That's great. But it helps me, like, kind of, you know, okay, they're having trouble with that as well. And, you know, they're having trouble with that plot point, And, you know, it helps me just, you know, relate to them. It gets me pumped up for my writing day. That's awesome. <laughs> and you're going to make everybody take naps. So. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I would like one myself. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming Thank on the show. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks again to my sponsor, Mermaid Pillow Co. Mermaidpillowco.com slash Zibby. Enter code Zibby for 10% off. Thanks so much. Check out those really awesome giftable pillows and blankets. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and at Zibby Owens and my new podcast at Kids Do Have Time to Read. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 